What is going on, everybody? We are back with another Hidden Falls Media Experience episode. I have an incredible guest today. I told you guys we were going to start moving away from the super, super serious entrepreneurs, and we were going to start filling in the gaps of different creative aspects to help you out inside your business. And I've been wanting to have this conversation with Michael for a while now of getting inside the mind of a writer, starting to truly get into the art of copywriting. We share a lot of similarities. I can't wait to share this episode with you. But first, before we begin, make sure that you pay the fee. The fee is simple. We don't run ads. We don't advertise on the podcast. We don't try to sell you some course or anything. We're here to simply help you on your journey of becoming a bigger and better entrepreneur so you can achieve the dream and the life that you deserve. Michael, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Hey, Alex, the pleasure is mine. It's an honor to be here. So before we got the show rolling, we were talking a lot about the art of persuasion through writing. And I would love to hear um, what it means to have a writer inside of a business and what type of impact that can have for people. Because so often as a marketing agency, when we come into businesses, a lot of times it's just the business owner that wrote the website. They write all the social media posts and they're not a great communicator through the written word where usually they can pick up a microphone like this and they can spit fire and they're just going at it. But on the places where conversions are so necessary, they often overlook the element of writing, which is going to be the main persuasive element. So I would love to get into that topic with you and start to see how we can depict this a little bit for the audience. Yeah. And uh, maybe we can take this in a way that is be a little bit different. So, so for me, there's two types of writing that are in my business. There's the fiction writing, and the actual art of codifying your thoughts. And for fiction, it's being able to tell a story, which is persuasion in, of, in and of itself. For the nonfiction that I write, because I write self-help books for writers, it's also about persuading people to maybe not do something that you want them to do, but to plant a seed and to get them to see things differently. And so that's, that's one part. And then the other part is the part you're probably more familiar with, which is copywriting. Yeah. So how do you get people to even pick up your book to begin with? And for me, I found that the storytelling was the fun one and the copywriting for a really long time was the unfun one. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm learning now that it's actually sometimes the other way around. Um, you know, copywriting is one of those things where it takes it takes just as long to learn copywriting as it does to learn fiction. Like when I first started copywriting, I thought, Oh, I'll just, I'll just bang out a book description and, you know, I'll tell people what's in it and why they should buy it and didn't work at all. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn to, to hone my copywriting, just like I had to learn to hone my craft. And the cool thing about it is that they're complementary. Yeah. So if you take both of them and, and like, it's like an equation, good storytelling versus good copywriting, it's like peanut butter and jelly you know, but how do you get there? And that's, that's been kind of my journey over the past eight years. What have you, what are some of those key nuggets that you've learned in that process? Because um, everybody to a degree understands that, Hey, like I can't, I can't, if I can't communicate my message to my audience, the likelihood of them buying something from me or me persuading them to take an action as to a follow or engagement, mm -hmm. um, you know, build a brand reputation probably isn't going to be very successful. So what are some of those key things that you've learned in your copywriting journey that have been really impactful on your success? The big one, and this is a problem I think that a lot of creative entrepreneurs have. I think it's a problem entrepreneurs period have because your your product is your baby. Mm. I mean, because in many ways it's 
it, it's ride or die. You have to make a living from this or it, you got to make it work. You know, there really no, there's no alternative. And for me, when I first started, my books were kind of like my babies. And when I would tell people about what some of my books were about, or I would write a book description, I took the lens of, okay, this book is my baby. I got to let people know how precious it is. That was the one thing I was doing wrong. I needed to learn that once I finished writing the book and the moment I wrote the end, it's no longer my baby, as much affection and feelings I feel about it. It's now a product. And in order to market a product, you have to treat your book like a product. And that is a completely different approach than if you were to approach it as an author. And that was really hard for me to understand in the beginning. That's the, that's the really big, big nugget for me. Yeah. What a, uh, what a perspective shift on that. Right? Yeah. Huge, huge. I mean, to think, because when you start thinking about your book as a product, you start thinking about other things too, like distribution and customers and market fit. And then you start thinking about how, how your product can speak to what it is that readers are wanting at that time. You and I were kind of talking about the, the six human needs, right? And uh, you were educating me about that. And it's, it's so true, you know? And I think that when you are learning to market your book as a product, it's all about numbers and, and, and data and things that you can go out and observe in the market, but there's only so much you can observe. And so it's like 80% what you can observe and then 20% your gut and your intuition. And I think that a lot of people don't have, a lot of people have that gut intuition, but they don't know how to listen to it. You know, and um, for me, I, I started learning, I got really good at copywriting, learning how to email market. So- writing because that's where I felt like I was I was starting to starting to connect with people like when I would write emails you know newsletters or autoresponders like I've got an autoresponder sequence right now that I wrote probably five years ago and people respond all the time to it because I ask a question and it's it's kind of this weird quirky little question um, and and they respond to it like all the time like probably once a week I get somebody that says hey I have to know the answer to this and then I copy and paste the response. But um, that's when I started learning, okay, I can start testing the things that I'm doing in emails. And then that can translate into some of the, the other copywriting that I do. So kind of a long way around answering your question, but. No, I, I think it's absolutely spot on, especially when we start looking at um, the form of writing. It's people blame email for tanking on them. Yeah. I don't blame email for tanking on people. I blame the creatives and the marketers to tank email for people because exactly like you said, it's still impactful. It's still, mm -hmm. you're still able to generate leads. You're still able to engage with your audience mm -hmm. through it. It's where's your creativity? Where's the element that they're not getting from somebody else? And when we look at, cause every business owner wants to know, well, what's the ROI going to be for me? Exactly. Well, how do you start to put an ROI on customer engagement, lifetime value and everything else that stacks into it? It's like, yeah, it's part of your experience, right? When you interact with this brand, now there's a cool element that you're not getting from any other brand. What if the person that you bought uh, glasses from sent you, you know, a series of emails that were creative and engaging and brought you down like a choose your own adventure path with a character yeah. that learned how to see using these new glasses, right? that were based on autoresponders that we could back up with technology so it could be automated by the business. 
but it's still creative and engaging in different ways. So I, I think what you're doing with blending a lot of the learning to utilize copywriting, I'm sure was massive for you, but then having that fiction background of good storytelling, I'm mm -hmm. sure has really paid off massive dividends for you. How important do you see storytelling being inside of marketing? So we hear it all the time, right? You got to tell a good story. Story is everything, right? Mm -hmm. But what does that mean for a business? What do you see that really translating to into their day-to-day -day lives of how they can tell better stories or how they can get better at at least recognizing when stories are happening right in front of them. Yeah. I have some interesting insights into this because yeah. this is, this is kind of where things started to click for me. So I had, um, um, it's like a New York times bestselling author mentor, and he was telling me and teaching me in this course that I was taking about the importance of the five senses in fiction. So when there's this idea in fiction and all the mega bestsellers like the, the John Grisham's and Nora Roberts and, you know, the James Patterson's of the world, they all do this and you don't know that they do it. And this is one of the reasons why they sell so many books. They tell a story through the five senses of the character. Now, when a lot of people go to writing school, they learn how to write in the five senses or they take a writing class and the teacher talks about that. So that's not a shock. People probably heard that before. But telling the story through the five senses of the character, that puts the reader in the character's head. Hmm. So then they can start to experience it through the character's eyes. And it, it, once you do that, then it's just a matter of picking the right images and putting them in the right order, right? And, and what I learned is when I am on stage or I get called on impromptu, like in a podcast right now, what I can start doing if I need to tell a story is I can start with the five senses. I can talk about a time when I was somewhere and I can talk about seeing and smelling and hearing. And I, I basically transport the person to this, to this memory that I'm telling them. And that in and of itself becomes a persuasion tactic. And that makes it easier for them to hear what you're saying. So what I tell people is that don't worry so much about the storytelling itself focus on how you tell the story because everyone's story is going to be different and everyone's going to have something important to say, but some of the best, some, some of the best entrepreneurs and senior executives and leaders that I've heard get in front of people and, and get them to be inspired around a shared vision is because they're really good at storytelling and they're really good at taking a story and making the people in the room feel as if they were there. And if you can do that in a way that shares authenticity, so it's, it's not, you can manufacture this all day long and people are going to smell you from a mile away, but you got to really tell a good story and it has to be true and it has to be told in only the way that you can tell it and everything else falls into place. How would somebody practice that? I would say, you know, so, so let's say you're, you're an entrepreneur, right? People ask me all the time, why are you a writer, Michael? Like, why do you write books? And the story I tell them is it was a beautiful moonlit night <laughs> in Des Moines, Iowa. And I went on a beautiful dinner with my wife and I, we had this vegan dinner <laughs> and it was great. Had strawberries and arugula and all that stuff. And I, I ate it and it was great. And later that night I had these awful gut-wrenching stomach pains and I didn't know what the problem was. And I went to the hospital and the, the doctors basically admitted me. And lo and behold, I was there for a month. And 
for an entire month, I was hooked up to an IV, doped up on morphine, having these really weird hallucinations with cheeseburgers that were talking to me because I was on a liquid diet. And it was a bit of a problem. And I remember in a moment of clarity, sitting on that bed, staring at the wall, asking, what am I doing with my life? And it was that moment when I was at my lowest, when I was working a crappy dead-end job in the insurance industry. Student loans were half my paycheck. I had never written anything I could be proud of. And that's when I decided that I wanted to be a writer. You know, And I hope that you can hear in that story, I tried to weave in some of those five senses. Yeah. And every entrepreneur has something that sets them on fire. Yeah. Figure out what that is, weave in those five senses so you can do a two-minute elevator pitch. That's how I would start. I love it. It's such a lost art of communication, especially the art of storytelling. Yeah, that it I is. feel like we're starting to come into this age where we've seen the effects of social media now for about a decade and what it's done to us as a society, how we consume information, the way that we interact with individuals. And I feel like we're living in two different worlds because of it. I feel like we're living in a digital world and we're also living in our own reality that we get to create through story. Mm-hmm. And those stories never truly ever line up with what we see online and what we're doing. And I think that that facade is starting to crack open inside of a lot of our society. And we're starting to find what truly makes us unique as humans. And I think the way we communicate is definitely one of those primary ways that we have enough self-awareness and enough enlightenment within our body to be able to connect and shoot that energy into other people. And when we look at the way that we sell and market and do everything, all the best of the best are looking at how do we create visceral experiences with our clients and with our products and services, especially ones that are online. So I think it, you know, it's really interesting that you brought up the five senses from that perspective, because that's exactly what we've done in a lot of our marketing too. And how we continue to help is even if you have an online product or service, how are you translating that into a physical sensation for the customer experience? Is it something like a handwritten, like a handwritten thank you note that you can send them, right? To give them that ability to smell, taste, touch something that's not physical. So I think it's interesting that you've gone in that direction, really explored those ideas with that. And there's so many interesting ideas that you can do with that. I love I love your uh, thank you note example. One of the things that I do is I sell courses on my um, on my website, mm-hmm. and anyone who buys a course from me, I don't advertise this. I just I just do it. Anyone that buys a course from me or buys a book directly from my website, I send them a personal thank you video. It's like 30 seconds long. I guess I say their name. I say, Hey, I noticed that you purchased the, this book. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And as you're digging through the material, here's my email address. If you have any questions, right. And 50% of people probably goes into their spam and they never see it, (laughs) but the other 50 are just like blown away. They're just like, Whoa, this is really, really weird. Why? You know, I'm, I'm just shocked that you would take the time to record this video for me. And uh, people remember that. And that, yeah. that's that's one way you can do it. You can think outside the box in ways that um, this isn't necessarily scalable, right? But while I, I have the ability to do it, it's, it's a great way to connect with people. And yeah. it's about the connection. Yeah, we get that argument a lot that how is that, how is that scalable? How can I do that for a lot of people? Mm-hmm. And the answer is you find a way. Exactly. Right? Like, 
if it's part of your culture and part of your DNA to be grateful and to truly express that, I think as a, I think as part of the business, it's almost mandatory that we continue this moving forward because it's what got us here. And I think that's where we see a lot of that shift. And we have this term in psychology of in groups versus out groups. And it's Mm -hmm. people we identify with versus people we don't. So for example, I live in Cincinnati. And if you mention the Pittsburgh Steelers in Cincinnati and wear a jersey downtown, you're probably going to get the crap beat out of you to some degree. (laughs) Either verbally or physically, to some degree, it's probably going to happen. So, and I use this example a lot of, you know, if you're, if you see somebody kicking a bum on the street and they're wearing a Bengals jersey and you live in Cincinnati, they're probably going to identify that, hey, that bum tried to attack you and the Bengals person is defending themselves and they're self-righteous in their efforts. If you see the Steelers person doing it, you're probably assuming that dude's just a piece of shit and that he just wanted to beat up a bum for no reason, right? But the because we identified with that tribe, we felt safe and secure and all of our human needs felt met in some way. But what are you doing when you extend and and transition out of that Bengals fan and into the Pittsburgh Steelers fan, right? You lose that audience that you identify with. You lose your tribe in that process. And I feel like when businesses grow, they find that they're expanding their tribe, but they're also losing part of their tribe too because they're focused on these ideas of scale and you know it's not going to be f or it's not going to be worth my time even though it's what got you here it's such a great i'm so glad you said that because one of the one of my big bugbears right now that i am you know there's some things where you you believe in them so much that you're willing to stand on an island Mm. and you're willing to die on that island one of the things as an author that i'm I'm constantly talking about is responding to your fan mail because it's exactly the same thing that you just said. You wrote this book that touched people so much that they're willing to go to your website, fill out a contact form, tell you how much they loved it, and you don't respond to that. You know, you can't find a minute to respond. I mean, that's that's it's it's ridiculous. But but a lot of writers don't respond to their fan mail because you know they get they get bigger, they sell more books, and they say, well, I can't scale this. I I can't read all these emails and maybe that's true, but I've always taken the approach that if a John Grisham or James Patterson or someone found a way to respond to their fan mail, I mean, can you imagine what great marketing that would be? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you take, take care of your customers, just like readers w- or writers would take care of their fans. And I think one of the best ways to take care of your customer is to hear them and yeah. to listen to them because I learn way more in an interaction with a fan than they ever get from me because I learn what they're talking, what the, what right. words they're using. Right. And then yeah. I can use that in my marketing, which, you know, it's not all about the marketing, but it's also about making that connection. And if I know what's resonating with people, you know, I, I strike up conversations with fan mail, people that send me fan mail all the time and you never know where it leads. And it's yeah. just great marketing. And I think that term gets thrown out a lot in a lot of weird senses. Not the, I don't think you're using it correctly because I think you are. Um, I think marketing is a game of memorization and people memorizing who you are and what you do and what you stand for and all the things that could be memorized about a person or a business. I think that's what marketing is and trying to figure out a way to creatively deliver that memorization game to people. And what a creative way, talking about one of the six human needs being uncertainty or novelty, right? Of if you randomly get a thank you note, or uh, I always, 
with that example, I give the Willy Wonka model of what if you just randomly signed like 50 books yeah, and just sent them out and you had, you didn't plan on it being, and just writing in it. Uh, like, so for an example of you, like, Hey, I don't know who you are, but thank you for buying my book. I wrote, this is one of 50 editions that got a handwritten thank you note inside of it. Just wanted to let you know from the bottom of my heart, how much I appreciate and value you for buying this. Uh, I hope you accept this gift from us. That's cool. Yeah. Because it's a game of memorization. It makes things unique and different and special for people. Yeah. And, if, and, and if you make your customer feel special, they never forget that, No, you know, especially have. when, yeah, when you're authentic about it. I, I remember there was a story, I forget who it was, but there was a uh, entrepreneur that talked about every time they fly on like a flight, they will leave a copy of one of their books in mm. the back of the, the back seat that they're sitting in front of. And just, it's a way to get your books out there into the pipeline. Um, yeah people leaving their business cards in the back of airplanes too, the back of the seats, you know, it's, it's, you just never know. Right. That's interesting. I'm actually getting ready to take a flight on Thursday and uh, I've just had a bunch of stickers printed. So I might, cool. uh, I might take that up and drop a few randomly in there. It's, 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 it's such an interesting idea. Cause yeah. when you hear it, you're like, Oh, you know, that's, it's a lot of money to spend on, on, you know, your traveling and all that, but it's, it, in in a way, I think it's the average paperback changes hands like five or six times or something like that. Oh wow! So if you think I don't remember the exact number, but it's a it's a pretty big number. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about that, and you think, oh well, you know, the person that sits that takes the seat after you on the plane might be a businessman, or it could be a grandpa whose granddaughter wants to be a writer, and they just give it, say, hey, I found this book. I thought you might find it interesting. And how cool would it be if it was signed? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. The world, the world, has, it's just such amazing coincidences. It's one of the things I've learned in eight years of, of running a business that you just never know what's going to happen. And you kind of have to open yourself up to new experiences and new people. And, and that's one of the best parts about it. Yeah. Would you say from your experience that you've learned that life happens for you, not to you? Yeah. I, I would go further and I would say that uh, you make life happen too. Ooh, you can't always control. That. Yeah. Yeah. You can't always control what happens to you. I mean, I, I had my near death experience and I can't control the person that didn't wash their hands before they, <laughs> you know, they uh, serve me an arugula salad, but I can control how I respond to it. And I can also control how I take that experience, turn it into storytelling and use that to launch a business. And so I, I think so much in life is about being proactive and and taking control of your environment. In fiction, there's a concept that a lot of writers agree on that uh, the first half of a story is when the main character is trying to figure out what the heck is going on. They're, they're getting outsmarted at every turn by the villain. Nothing seems to be going their way. It's setback after setback, but sometime around the 50% mark of the story, is when the hero goes from being reactive to being proactive. And that is how they start to become the hero that they need to be. And I've always thought that that was a beautiful metaphor for life. Like how many of us sleepwalk through our lives and have no idea what it is that we wanna do? And what is the moment in your life when you're going to be proactive? And the moment that that happens, what kind of hero's journey are you on? Wow. 
And I'm glad you brought up uh, the hero's journey for that. At that 50% mark, is that where you typically start to see like the guide be introduced and you start to see that hero's journey truly play out? The guide usually comes earlier in the hero's journey. The guide usually comes early. I don't know what the percentage would be, but somewhere between zero and 25%. Do you mind so, breaking that down for people just because I'm sure some of my audience doesn't know about the hero's journey? Yeah, the hero's journey is a um, it's a very common storytelling method that a lot of people use. Star Wars is one of the perfect examples of it. It was popularized. This method was popularized by Joseph Campbell. He wrote a great book. Uh, it was called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And a lot of writers and screenplay writers and, and artists use this as a way to create like a universal narrative. So it starts, if you think about it as a circle, at the top of the circle, the hero starts and they're comfortable in their own environment. Something happens that's called like the call to adventure that forces them to see, okay, maybe I need to rise to an occasion, but they don't want to do it. And then something happens that pushes them outside of their comfort zone. And there's a guide, there's a mentor, there's setbacks. And as you get to the top of the circle, the hero returns home, changed and transformed to, be to become who they need to become. And so that's not the only way of telling a story, but it's one of the most universal ways. What's your favorite way? My favorite way personally is making stuff up as I go along. <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite way of telling the story. I, I mean, I, I had a mentor who always says, uh, writing fiction is, is literally sitting in a chair and making shit up for a living. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we look at some of the, what we consider most prolific writers, both in volume and in quality of work and how much of it they just don't remember having happened. Yeah. That it, they just feel like it totally didn't even happen. Like when we look at a famous example is with Stephen King. Oh yeah. Right. How many books was he just coped out of his mind or uh, drinking his way through? And he was like, I looked up and it was done. Yeah. I, I don't remember what's in most of my books. Like I remember like the highlights, but I don't remember the actual details because once I finish a book, I just forget it. Mm. And because it's a product to me at that point. Right. And, you know, I, I've written so many at this point. I've written, I just started book 55, actually. Yeah. So <laughs> started book 55 and people ask me all the time. So tell me about this character or tell me about uh, this idea that you talked about. And I'm just like, oh yeah, that one. Yeah, I remember now. Thank you for jogging my memory. <laughs> yeah. What has that been like writing that many uh, that many books and creating? Now that you understand, you have that process, right? Of once I'm done, I I put this limitation on my thinking of I have to start thinking about it like this in order for me to continue down this path. What has that been like for you writing that many? And what's finding that process been like for you? Yeah, it, you know, it. I think I I finally got into my flow around book six or seven, okay. where it was write the book, close it, and then move on. I think one of the things that I've learned to do is I write a book and then I don't do a whole lot of hard marketing. Mm. Like there's some writers that are, that are, you call them book launchers. They're really good at it. They plan their launches out six, eight months in advance. Everything is measured. It goes at a, a really clean and, and quick cadence. For me, I just release a book. I publish it. I let my audience know about it. I let folks know on social media and on my YouTube channel. And then the next day I'm writing the next book. And so for me, it's just very much, 
if the book does well, it does well. I'll throw some ads at it. I'll do some, um, you know, some SEO stuff on some of my books, but you know, I'm not terribly worried because for me, it's all about volume. Mm. You know, I win when at some point, you know, book 70 or 80 or, you know, 8,000, I don't know. <laughs> one of them, one of them is going to take off. And then all of a sudden, all of these readers that are coming into my community suddenly have a playground of a number of books that they can read and enjoy. And that makes me different than other yeah. people. You know, it's a, it, it's a differentiator for me as opposed to having only one or two books. Do you self-publish? I do. Yeah. What's that been like learning that process and not being holding to somebody else's criticism or uh, their creativity touch. I'm always, I'm always blown away by how much a corporation can just ruin somebody's creativity. Oh, they can ruin your careers. Yeah. You know, um, the reason I chose to be a self-publisher was because I want, I wanted to have control over my work. Mm. Like I wanted to control my destiny. So when I had my near death experience, when I was in the hospital and the doctors couldn't figure out what was the matter with me. Like that was the point in my life where I just said, you know what? I'm not going to put my life in other people's hands anymore because <laughs> the doctors were, it was borderline malpractice to be honest with you. And so I, like, I'm not going to put my life in somebody else's hands. I'm going to control my own destiny. And you know what? I could swing and I could miss and sure. the book could bomb or I could write a hundred books and still never make a living with my writing. But you know what? At the end of the day, that was my decision. It wasn't anybody else's. I didn't have to wait for other people's approval. And so um, self-publishing has been wonderful for me in that I can, it, it taught me how to learn how to be myself on the internet. So it's kind of, it's, it's kind of weird that like the act of doing a book would do that, but I am an extreme introvert. Like if you ever meet me in person, sometimes I have, I have difficulty carrying on a conversation. I'm, I'm usually not someone that will reach out. Uh, I'm just a wallflower. I'm that guy at the prom that just stands with a, a can of Coke standing by the wall, <laughs> you know, but writing a book because this, this sort of stuff sets my soul on fire. I had to learn how to podcast and I had to learn how to do it, do YouTube videos. I had to learn how to write books and learn how to be myself on the internet so that when people meet me for the first time or they hear me for the first time, they get a sense of, Hey, you know, this is somebody I want to talk to somebody that I want to get to know a little bit more or hear what this person has to say. And that doesn't, it, it didn't come overnight. So being able to, to have that control over my work, I think helped me be a little bit more emboldened and uh, be more courageous in the types of decisions that I was making, because at the end of the day, you can succeed or you can fail. And that's all on me. A lot of people get really scared of that, but I see it as a tremendous responsibility and opportunity. Yeah. And it's definitely a, definitely a risk, right? Oh, absolutely. But, um, I was talking about this with my team the other day that I think so many individuals are looking for a commitment of risk between the two parties, right? You're committing to a risk with your audience of saying, Hey, you may not like the next chapter that I bring out and by chapter being the next book or next idea that I bring out, but I'm going to keep swinging, right? I'm going to commit to you in the sense of, I'm just going to keep showing up and doing this because it's what I love. And the risk on you is, Hey, maybe you buy the book and you don't like this one, but maybe the next one, like you were saying, captivates you and moves you into a new state of existence to where you never thought was possible before. Absolutely. 
I think once we start to come to terms with everybody's putting risk on each other, but once we really internalize it, hey, it's up to me to step up and take the swing because at the end of the day, the only thing I can control is my effort and my attitude. It's the only thing that's going to get us the result that we can ever hope for because putting your hands into somebody else and saying, oh, it's the publisher's fault that this didn't go as planned or it's the ad company's fault that this didn't take off in the way yep. that we needed it to or, right, we're always looking for that opportunity to shift blame. But I, one of the highlights that I see out of you and what I think one of your superpowers is after knowing you for a little bit is taking that onus but understanding through self-awareness how important effort and action is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. That, that's a compliment. Um, I, I would also say that when it comes to your career in the macro, because it's really, especially with entrepreneurship, when, when you're living month to month and you've got to make things work for this month, it can be really hard to think long-term. And I like to tell people when it's all said and done and you're six feet under, if you were going to be successful and however you define success is up to you, is that a seven figure income? Is it notoriety? Whatever that looks like for you. Wouldn't it have been much better to have done it the Frank Sinatra way, as opposed to doing it the way everybody else tells you. And to me, the answer is if I'm going to be successful, I would much rather be myself and be successful because of that than be successful in spite of it. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Michael, I know we're running out of time. I want to give you an opportunity to plug where people can find you. I know you said you have a YouTube channel. Uh, you've got a plethora of work out there in the marketplace for people. How can they get a hold of you? Where can they find you and your work? Yeah, so I've got a YouTube channel. It's called Author Level Up. And my focus on that channel is to help writers become the best versions of themselves. And so I talk about writing craft, business, and marketing. I've also got books for writers. I've got about a dozen of those that really focus on teaching writers how to become a better version of themselves. And you can find everything that I am doing at authorlevelup.com. I love it. Super simple. Michael LeBron, everybody. Michael, thank you for having, or <laughs> thanks for being here. I don't know why I screwed that part of it up. <laughs> thanks for being here, my man. As always, guys, my call to action for you today, make sure you share this with somebody if it had an impact on your life. But even more importantly than that, go make somebody smile today. Thank <laughs> you.